Hello, and welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages again, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of the service. As many of you know, uh, just recently I was in Israel. I've been away for two weeks. That's, that's usually kind of rare, but... Uh, the last week we went to a family member. My nephew is the worship pastor now at Genesis Church in, um, down near Malden. So we were down there with family kind of celebrating uh, his, his new p- placement. And uh, the week before we were in Israel, and uh, in that time, uh, we had, it's a unique trip in that we were taking pastors. It was 41 Leaders. It wasn't. It wasn't just church members. These are people who are doing what I'm doing with you. They're leading churches. They're they're heading and overseeing mission budgets. And so our trip was touring, but it was also stopping at different locations and meeting with the with the church that's in the land. And one particular pastor we met with is currently going back and forth to Turkey. Uh, it would be wrong for me to assume that you're aware of what happened in Turkey, but just recently, we, uh, it had a 7.5 or 7.9 uh, earthquake on the Richter scale. And if you look at just so many of the different, um, I'm gonna have to do this, it's not doing it. But if you look at what took place, where it took place, if you look at the, the map here, it's, um, it's right on the border of Syria and Turkey. And it depends, I don't know how well informed you are on in international uh, politics and conflicts, but Turkey had just declared war on the Kurdish element within northern Syria, and they were preparing to go into the country. And right at, as that moment kind of got set and they began to put things in place, the earthquake leveled everything. I, I thought I understood earthquakes. You know, we see California and, you know, uh, but an earthquake on this magnitude and what took place was just absolutely, completely devastating. I'm gonna do a lot of this, so just keep, keep close eye on me. Um, houses, entire sections of a city were completely leveled. Keep a real close eye on me. There you go. Uh, look at look at this. It, you could picture downtown Lowell and just take take 50% of it and just level it within a moment. You could not only is it stalling on us or is that me? Adam, are you up there? Is it stalling out or okay? Take a look at this. This is you would think that it would just be the city that felt the effects of this, but right in the country, entire look at look at this section here. Just completely devastated. Right now, I think the death toll is up to about 28,000. They're anticipating that it could go as high as 35,000. But imagine that. I I began to try and put that into perspective of how we could relate to it, but literally, in a moment, they experienced 10 September 11ths. In a moment. And right here on this picture, you can see this entire tenement building that just pancaked in. And right in that corner, you see a picture here. In that picture is actually the story of a father and his daughter. And when I saw this, I don't know if uh, Alicia and Mike are here, but Mike, when I saw this, I instantly thought about 
you and Sapphire, maybe because um, he reminds me a little bit of how you look. You've got that tough, manly, handsome Arab look kind of to you. But, but there's stories behind this, right? And just in the same way that you love your daughter, here, if you zoom in on that picture, the father's holding the hand of his daughter because the building collapsed when she was on the bed and he had been staying there, just continuing to hold on to his daughter's hand. That's, that's loss on a level that I just can't, I just can't measure it. And what's beautiful is that what they didn't say at youth convention that I can say with you is, is that one particular leader that we met with, a part of the, the church in the Middle East, while we had these pastors traveling around, we went to a legalized, it's a legal rec, national recognized church. He's an Arab pastor and he's going into Turkey bringing support and relief long before the earthquake took place. And they said to the students, now the youth pastor that was leading youth convention was one of my former students. He was also on the trip with us. And he was there in the room when we heard this pastor talking about it and moved his heart. He put out that plea in youth convention and said, we need to do more. We can do something about this. And they brought in, I believe it was uh, $25,000, I think it was. I might be exaggerating that, but they brought, yeah, it was $25,000 from teenagers who dug into that caramel macchiato money and kind of threw it down and said, let's make a difference. Now, the great thing is for our church, we have income that we've dedicated to this that you have given with your, your faith promises, but that's what the faith promise is for, for moments like this and tragedy. And uh, I'm so glad and I'm so proud that we're part of a church that doesn't have to be mobilized to action, but we're pre-prepared for it. But I want to lead us in prayer for that nation. I could talk about a thousand different things. I mean, last week, Pastor Dylan addressed the issue of uh, the murder of a young man by multiple police officers. I watched the entire reel, and it broke my heart. That's, that's, that's not the kingdom of God. That's just wickedness and evil. And it's no longer an issue of, oh, it was white people and people of color and ethnicity. It's not even an issue of that. It's an, an issue of people with wickedness in their hearts taking that evil and violence out on a human being. Where is the, where, what is going on in this world? I'll tell you what, we're coming to the end. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And so I'd like to pray that, that God would be with these people in this time. Um, because it could be Sapphire and Mike. It could be you and your family members. But imagine 28,000 people instantly. It's, it's a tragedy. And uh, it's not fully over yet, but let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up what has taken place in Turkey and in Syria. First of all, Lord, I thank you that you're not the cause of these things, but you use everything for good. And Lord, the pause on the, the horror of war and the violence of war, um, Lord, that, that both sides are suffering the similar grief. I pray that you would use this to bring those people together and not drive each, them apart with hatred and war. And Lord, I just pray for the, um, the catastrophic loss in a nation that has catastrophic needs before any earthquake. Lord, we just thank you that you are, are mobilizing us, the church, to help make a difference. And so, Lord, as we've already given, and we give to that cause, and our students raising $25,000, it's just amazing. I pray that, that what we give would be blessed of you and would reach people in their most desperate hour. We give you all the glory and praise for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow.
Well, I realized the longest message that I ever preached in the history of this church was a couple of weeks ago. And it was on the whopping topic of, of giving, right? Like, it, you would think, like, I would have done the shortest topic on giving, but it just happened. But uh, I realized that, that I can say a lot more if I put it together a lot clearer in a lot less space. Um, so my hope today is that I give you some concentrated gospel. Uh, and we don't keep you here for all hours. Uh, before I start, I just want to thank you, uh, uh, Caitlin, for giving me this coffee. Um, can I just give you a little bit of advice with me as a church? First of all, this is, this, is, this is somebody granting the desires of their pastor's heart. I always put out there extra cream, two sugars, and I, it's even made the way that I like it. She came up and she ran up and she said, special delivery, right? But here's the problem is that uh, I grew up my whole childhood in New York going back and forth to school, getting jumped, grabbed, pulled, punched. So I got this reaction in me that just freaks out. And she came running up to me and she, she touched my hand with the coffee. It wasn't that she, 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 she just touched me and instantly, right, back row and back of me, did I freak you out? I just went like this and she didn't flinch, and the reason is is because she's been taking jujitsu, and she also is like taking taekwondo, and she could probably beat me up, so she's not worried about it, right? But I just freaked out. So, um, yeah, no, 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 that's okay. Thank you for the coffee, right? And, and she didn't even flinch, you know? I just went, Phew! and then Joe, who's done boxing for years, he walks up and he goes, you did good, Pastor, you did good, you know? <laughs> <So> <laughs> I can't believe it. I, can, I just couldn't keep that story to myself, you know. <laughs> Pastor knocks out congregant for giving coffee, you know. It can happen. It can happen. So I want to start a new series with us going into uh, who God is. God is. Um, God, what is God? Who, who is he? What, what, what are, more specifically, what are his attributes? What are his qualities? And... Um, one of the great life-changing classes for me in Bible college were the theology classes, the theology of God. They call it Systematic Theology 1, Systematic Theology 3, the, the, the theology of the Holy Spirit. And in those classes, when someone began to open up God's words and show me just how amazing God was by, by his testimony of himself and, and just who the Holy Spirit is and and who Jesus is, it changed my life. Now, I'm a fan and we're a fan in this church of preaching through books of the Bible because we believe that we may have influence in your life, but not forever, not for a long, long period of time. And I would rather have you understand uh, books of the Bible so that when you open them as a pastor teacher, my job is to make sure that you can handle the word of God for yourself. And I'm very proud to be part of a very biblically literate community. But sometimes we need to jump out of the fray of that and get into a kind of systematic theology. And when you hear that, you know, a lot of people when they read in their Bible college agendas, like you're gonna be taking systematic theology one and systematic theology two, it just sounds so robotic. And, but man, I pray that God will help me and, the, and the, the speaking, preaching team in this church to bring to you truth that will just change you forever, that you'll never think about God the same. So with that in mind, we're going to talk about theology. Well, what in the world is theology? The word itself, the Greek word, is literally theo or theos, which means God, and logi or logos, as we say in English, which is, 
which is the study of God. It's just that simple. And the irony of this question is the science of the study of God, because while Bible colleges or churches and Christians are studying God, secular universities, um, uh, atheistic and agnostic people are always studying God. They're sizing him up. They're, they're trying to quantify him. I mean, who can quantify God? I mean, think about the, 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 the limitation of the foolishness to think that you can sum God up and put him into a little checklist and box and discard that because you don't like it or, you know, keep it because you do. It's like saying that you could store lightning in a bottle or the universe in your pocket. Who can contain him? And to think that God could be your lab rat, that you can put, as if to say, you make him your lab rat and you can... You can you know, say, well, God does this here, but he did this to me there, and this happened in my life, so if God is love and this happened to me, then, then why, why, how do we say that God is good? And, and the problem with the science thinking of God or the philosophical thinking of God is limited to the, to the people that are wielding it, us. And we have limitations in our thinking, and we have, we have incomplete or immature thinking while we think that we have everything figured out, and we've asked every question, and we've, we've turned every comma into a period and every question mark into an exclamation point to say whether God is real and relevant for my life or not. The truth of the matter is, is that we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of who God is. He's indescribable. He's uncontainable. How do you describe snow to somebody who's never seen it? I did that once. I said to my friend, well, it's kind of like shaving cream, but it's in that it, it covers everything and it's white, but it's kind of like bars, like shavings of soap because it falls down in layers. It kind of feels like cotton, but it's cold. And then as we were driving down the road, he saw snow for the first time and he, my uncle was driving and, and he goes, what's going on, man? What's wrong with you? He goes, oh, he goes, he was from South Africa. So he said, oh, oh, I've never seen snow in my entire life. And my uncle pulls the car over. He says, you haven't seen snow? We need to get out. So he gets out and he's experiencing the snow. And he's like, ah, oh, it's fluffy like cotton. And, and it's cold and it's, it's like shaving cream. And my uncle said to me, he said, Brendan, stand right here. And then my uncle came over to me and we came around the corner. We hit him with two snowballs. And we said, now get back in the car. And we drove off. But I've seen what it's like to try to describe something to somebody who's never experienced it. See, there's more to knowing. Not only do you, can you quantify and know God mentally, but God has made himself available to us that we can experience him. In this service, before service, some of you, some of you were touched and moved, maybe by the songs, reflecting on your life, maybe the longings of your heart. And God moves us. We can experience the presence of God in this place, and it's beautiful. I think about Romans. Um, I'm gonna, as I read Bible verses, I do have them, but Romans 9.20, let me, let me read that for you. It says, but you who are a human being, talk, to talk back to God, shall what is formed say to who, he who formed it, why did you make me this way? Like, the irony of how we sometimes bring God down to our level. Uh, maybe we drag him down with our pain and suffering and say, well, if you were so good to me, why are you so bad to me? 
Why did these things happen in my life? I don't want, there are people that are not in this building today that are in your places of work, in your places of family, who are not here because something happened in their life and they put God under a microscope and said, if I experience this pain and God is supposed to be loved, then, then why am I experiencing this pain? And they made a decision and summed God up and put him in a box and said, well, God's completely irrelevant to my life because if he existed, he wouldn't let these things happen, so why should I even give him any attention? And it's so sad. We have people, maybe you're watching right now online, maybe you're here in church, and maybe you're in a place where atheism, agnosticism, or philosophy is the category that God's under right now. I, I really consider atheism and agnosticism apathy. And let, let, me, let me just say what I mean by a, atheism is simply that God doesn't exist. I don't believe that God exists. That's okay, God doesn't believe in atheists either. But this is where the Christian community instantly responds with a, what I call a slap in the face burst and says in the book of Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Right? Does that help anybody move closer to God? Does right thinking or criticism like that help somebody move closer to God? See, God didn't break through to the world through his law. He broke through to the world through his love. But there's other people who are what we call agnostic, and what they say is basically, God exists, but you can't really know him. He's just a big thing. And, you know, and there, there's other forms of, of agnosticism, too, that says that God's real, but you can't really know him. And it, and, and it goes down like this. Kind of, you hear people, they say this kind of comment, like, God and me, we, we, we got an understanding between each other. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. Because if you knew who God was, you wouldn't be taking distance from him. You would be doing everything within your ability to close that distance and be near to the one who loves you, faults and all. And there's circular reasoning. They ask, circular reasoning will go about and they'll ask questions that go nowhere. This is, this is probably why, I, I think Pastor Dylan, wouldn't you agree with me that our 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 pastor, he's really, in some ways, he, we're co-lead pastoring you. Um, he really holds that. How many of you have been impacted in your life by this young man? Just raise your hand across this room. Take a look at that and take that in. Um, I'm helpful. He's crucial to, to eat. He really is. Like, I'm helpful. I'm decoration, but, but uh, we're not running around seeing who's in first, second, and third position. He really functions as a lead pastor, and, and God uses him in incredible ways. But I think God uses him in the way that we think. His preaching is very philosophical. Wouldn't you agree? He gets you thinking about things in a way that just you just don't normally think about. You look at them differently. And he has a way of coming in through the back door of your doubts and walking you out the front door in total confidence to face life in Jesus. And I just, I just thank God for you, man. I just want to publicly thank God for you. But sometimes we can get caught in philosophical thinking and we can say foolish questions, paradoxes, right? You take a true statement and, a, and an untrue statement and you put them together and it makes God kind of look like he can't do anything. For instance, right, can God create a rock that he can't lift? If he is all-knowing, all-powerful, 
and all wise and all everything. Can God create a rock that he can't lift? Or can God create a question that God himself can't answer? Uh, that kind of reminds me as a child. My mom just told me this recently. She said, you asked so many questions. You want to hear these? These are true questions I asked my mom, my poor mom. Why is the sky blue, and why is there nothing in a hole? And she said, Paul, you would just drive me nuts. Mom, why is the sky blue? Why is there nothing in a hole? And, and sometimes we can get that way about God, and we can ask these circular questions that are really a paradox. They combine a true statement and a false statement to make something look incompetent, inconsistent, illogical. And there are many universities that, that our students who are upstairs right now are going to be going to that it's important that they think through and that we have a pastor who comes from a philosophical vantage point because the universities are pummeling the faith by creating doubt within people that are really foolish. I mean, think about this. Here's a paradox for you. Can a triangle have four sides? Well, the true statement is triangle. Yes, triangles exist, but the word itself, triangle, means that it's three sides. It doesn't have four sides. First of all, why would God even create a triangle with four sides? It just is foolishness, and it's not factual. So that's why we have a square. It's a false statement, and it's as if to make God look like he's incompetent. So, Matt, uh, you know what? Sienna's not in the room right now. I need, I, I, I just so, I won't do this, but Pastor Dylan, come here. I'm going to do this to you. Um, I just, I'm going to ask you a question in front of this church before God and his holy angels. Now listen, listen to it. Sometimes it's the way that we ask a question. Here it is. Matt, come on up too. So glad you're here. I want to get two young husbands up here, sorry. By the way, keep Matt and Sienna in prayer. Little baby Daphne goes in tomorrow for a standard, but, but uh, a small surgery. And Ian and Sarah, I saw you back there. Congratulations. We're having a baby boom here. Okay. My question to you, married men, with your wives present, staring down at you, watching you, is this. Have you stopped beating your wife? Answer the question. Never started. No, 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 no. You can't. Yes or no. Have you stopped beating your wife? No. <laughs> yeah. I'm not buying it. <laughs> do you see the, see, do you see the, the, the if, if, if they say no, it means that they were beating their wife. And if they say, uh, if they say no, it means they were beating their wife and they haven't stopped. If they say yes, it means that they were beating them and they no longer are hitting them anymore, which means they confess to being wife beaters. And we hate wife beaters. We hate, yes, we do. Thank you so much for being victims. All right. But think about this. Think about this. In, in, in colleges across the country and around the world, they're asking, they're getting students on a train that goes nowhere because they're getting them to think about questions that are like this that really are trying to discredit and disqualify God as if, you can, as if you can just write him off and say he doesn't exist or write him off and say he exists but he's not worth the effort and we've got an understanding. God is so big and he is so 
powerful and he is so good and he is so loving. The most important relationship in your life will be the one not you mar who you marry, but will be the one who you call Lord in your life. And God has said that before him every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, but that requires for us to come to understand who God is. That is the question. Is God real? And if he's real, is he relevant to my life? And if he's relevant to my life, then who is he? And what we do as human beings is we often take God and we recreate his image to make him weak and incompetent or indifferent, and we bring him down to a level that we never engage him the way that he seeks us to, that he is the answer to our problems, that he is the love of our life, that he is the shield and the reward, and we just, we just take distance from him. We don't let him into our life. We don't let him become active. And it's so foolish with this thinking to think, you know, God's not relevant, God's not real, and, and to get in this circular reasoning as if God would be subject to the things that we're subject to. Think about this for a second. If you have an iPhone, hold it up real quick. Come on, I know you've been texting all service. Don't give me that. <laughs> Who made the iPhone? Steve. I never heard anyone call him Steve. I've always heard him Steve Jobs, but never Steve. You're right, Steve did, Steve Jobs. Now, Steve Jobs existed before the iPhone, right? And he created the iPhone, and he programmed the iPhone. But does that mean that Steve is subject to the software of the iPhone? The, the rules of the iPhone? No. So if God created the universe, and he created us, and he existed, we, he had to have existed before us, then does that mean that God is subject to our reality, our rules, and our laws? Absolutely not. And yet the world is filled with people that are trying to help us to take God, reduce him to us, and say that he's subject to the same scrutiny that we're subject to. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. It's a paradox. If God created the universe, that means that he exists. And if he created us, it means that he exists separate from time, existence, power, knowledge. He would not be subject to the laws of this creation. He would be above it. God is eternal. We have a birth and a debt date, but God is all-powerful. We have limitations. He's limitless. He's limitless. Hebrews 11:6 6 says this, anyone who comes to God must first believe that he is, it, that he is and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Which, which means today, what I'm talking about, unless you're in a place, whether you're watching online or you're here, unless you're in a place where you're able to say, I believe that God exists, I believe he's real, really what I'm talking about will have very little relevance for your life. And there's a place, you know, I'm working from an assumption here that every single one of you uh, believes that God exists, that his existence is, a, you know, his existence is a topic for another day, but if I could just lean into the skeptic thinking of of that septic stinking of, of like God's not real, I highly recommend a book to you. It's called uh, Reasons for God in an Age of Skepticism by Tim Keller. It's probably one of the finest writings I've ever seen on that subject. It's amazing. Um, and you could listen to it in audio, but if you struggle with 
doubting God or thinking that he's real, that's a really good read for you, but I'm gonna have to assume that we're here and we believe that God is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when it comes to God here, and I'm gonna pop this into gear and, and bring this to a close soon. We talk about his attributes, his, his um, qualities, his traits. Who is he? Well, he's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's everywhere. I mean, he, he doesn't function. I, right now, I'm here. I can't be at my home at the same time. Right now, I'm here. I can't be in the Middle East. I'm limited to that. But God is, limit, God is outside of this, the, the entire world as you and I know it. He is beyond the reach of our understanding. And, and it's time that we begin to recapture the awe of God to realize, man, God is not like us. And so he has some qualities about him that you and I can possess. You and I can possess love. You and I can possess kindness. You and I can possess um, holiness. We can, we can live a holier life, but we're not perfect like God. But there are some things about God that you can't be. You can't be all-powerful. You can't be all-present, and you can't be all-knowing. Although, um, no, bite my tongue on that, sorry. Say, good move, pastor. So I just want to talk very briefly here as we start this series, you know, we're framing, we're talking about God's attributes, his qualities, that he's beyond everything that we could think or know, but we're gonna talk about what's called communicable and incommunicable attributes. Now, you can have a communicable disease or an incommunicable disease. In other words, can you spread it? I have a cold all day today. People were coming up saying, hi, pastor, and I was like, I'm giving elbows today, four days on a cold. I've stayed away from your babies and you can thank me for that because I don't want to give them a little cold. And that, but you, you have, act, they're, they're, we are created in the image of God, which means that we can be kinder than we are. We're created in the image of God, which means that we can show love like God shows love. We can, we're created in the image of God, which means that we can, we can, through his grace and through his strength, clean up our act and clean up our mouth and clean up our life in a way that we can be holier than we are because of that, but there are some things about God that we can't, and today, I wanna to talk to you about one that we can, which is God is love. God is love. Now, when I think about falling in love, right, it's, it, I remember one, the, one of the presidents of, of Zion Bible College years ago used to say, it sounds like some poor victim walking down the road, right, and they just fall into a trap. Falling in love, right? Any of you who have been married for three years or under won't get this, but if you've been married for three years or more, you will understand that you have redefined the part of your vows that says, till death do us part. Kind of said, where do I put the comma on that? How do I put the tone in Till death do us part, yes. You've, you've considered there's a possibility here. You can redefine it, but when I say the word love, some of you love the Super Bowl. Some of you love the Patriots. And how many of you are watching that game tonight? Eagles, baby, Eagles. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when I say love, it could be my sports team, it could be my dog, it could be my job, it could be my, my family. But, but the Greeks in the New Testament when the Bible was written, they don't have 
uh, one word for love. They actually have seven, five that are more known, three that are really relevant to us. First is this, it's called phileo, it's friendship love. In fact, the city of Philadelphia takes this Greek name and it says it's the city of brotherly love. Then there's eros, which is romantic love, and it's between a man and a woman, and it's talking about romantically engaging in sexual relations. It's, it's where we get the word erotic from. And then you have the word of love that is applied to God here in this, and is sometimes applied to you and I, where it says God is agape. And agape is different from all the other words of love in this one area in this one area alone. While I can have a friendship love with somebody, I can fall out of love with them in friendship. While I could have a intimate relationship with somebody, I could fall out of that intimate relationship with somebody. I could become bored with that person. I could become angry at that person. I could become the very person I fell in love with and now I wanna, I wanna just take, take my life in a different direction and you can divorce that and I'm not condoning that, I'm just using it as an example, but here's what makes agape different. Agape loves something not based on what it gets from it. Agape is based on the value it sees in it. This is game changer because when the Bible says that God is love, it's saying that God is a being who deeply, with all of who he is, cares about you, not because of what you do or don't do, not because of the joy or pride that you give him, but because of the value he sees in you. How much is a diamond worth? Some of you might be like, I had to pay $1,000 for that quarter carat ring, the engagement ring, the wedding ring. A diamond's probably worth about $10. It's a created market. How much are you valued to God? What's interesting is, is that because people will pay thousands of dollars for that dime, they'll dig through a mountain and remove, on average, about 200 tons. That's about 400 thousand pounds of dirt to get one tiny carat of a diamond. But they'll do that because the value of what people will pay for it are, the, are there. How do you view God and his love for you in your life? Do you have the kind of relationship with God that says that he cares about you when you're doing everything right, but he cares less about you or doesn't care at all about you when you're doing things wrong? Do you value God's love for you like a light switch? That his love is there for you when you're living for him and you're walking in holiness and purity and uprightness and you're in prayer and you're reading your, your Bible and you're doing all those things that a Christian's supposed to do. But when you have a rut in your life, a, a, a down season, the light switch goes off, God no longer loves you, and therefore, once you start doing the things that makes God happy, the light goes back on and he cares about you. This is called legalism. And take it from somebody who has cried a river of tears that thought that God was close to him when he was close to God and thought that God was far away from him when he came short of who God was. And then you get on a roller coaster ride and a relationship with Jesus, but there's something about love that's different from any other quality about who God is. It is the great leveler that God says to us, I care about you and I value you not based on the pleasure you give me, not based on what you do or don't do for me, 
I love you because I value you and I'm willing to remove 400,000 pounds of dirt out of your life because you are worth it to me. I mean, that changes my life. Listen, we all know human relationships. We all know what it's like when somebody gets upset with you and they block you. They, they, they block your call. They block your life. They, they run out of compassion and patience for you. But the Bible says that God is compassionate and loving, forgiving to a thousand generations. And when we say that God is love, if, how do you measure his love? It's based on an eternal length of, of time. It's like, for me, if I, if I were to say to you, you know, God, God loves me, and I'm looking at it from he loves me when I'm perfect and I'm right. That means that basically I would probably give that a length of about an inch. But if you understand that God is eternal, he's all-powerful, he's outside of the system of how you and I love people, and that his love has no end, his mercies are new every morning, you begin to get an understanding that you might not be the person that you ought to be, but you don't have to be the person you used to be because you can start again afresh anew with Jesus every single day. If I try having a relationship with God based on my relationship, forget it. I'm not going, I'm not going too far, but think about this. God did not change the world by his law. He changed it by his love. John 3, 16 is probably the most familiar passage to every single one of us. For God so loved the world that he dealt with them until he couldn't deal with them anymore and then wrote them off and destroyed them. No, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That means that he valued you so much. How many of you would give your child for the life of another person? That's within your human... And listen, I have to be honest with you. I don't know if I could do that. But think about the limitlessness of God's love. God loved you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son for you and you and you and you and you that's watching online. That is an immense love. That's outside of my comprehension. I can't wrap my heart and mind around it. Well, you better. 1 John chapter 4, 16 says this. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. Don't miss that. Your very walk in life is not going to be determined by the law of God. The law of God shows you what's wrong. What's going to change you is the love of God. We rely on the love of God. Because why? 1 John 4, 16. God is love. Whoever lives in him lives in, lives in God. Whoever lives in love lives in God. And God in them. Look at this one. 1 John 3, 11, he says it straight up. He says, just so that you don't mess up the message of what God's salvation to the world is, I want you to understand clearly, he says, this, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain. Think about that. God's saying to us right here in this passage, don't misunderstand the message. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. Love one another. John the Apostle, who wrote the epistles that I just quoted and wrote the Gospel of John, he was considered the beloved. He's the only disciple to die a natural death. In fact, he was captured, he was caught. They decided they would, they would kill him by putting him in boiling oil. 
And so John was put within hot boiling oil, which means when he came out the other side, his whole body was one giant scar. And when John writes the book of Revelation and he says, behold, I saw him, but he couldn't recognize Jesus. He was like, his feet glowed like a brass bronze in the furnace. His face was like lightning. It was like he couldn't describe him. But the truth is, if you knew John from the times of Jesus and his times at the church of Ephesus, you wouldn't have recognized him as a, for, because there was nothing to recognize about him. He was a, he was a human scar, complete burn victim. And when he's there and he's writing, he spends the last days of his life in the city of Ephesus preaching over and over and over again. You know what the verse was for his church? God is love. And in fact, as he became older, he couldn't move around as much. He, couldn't, he didn't have strength to talk as much. And in the latter part of his life, St. Jerome records in one of his commentaries, this is going back to like 300 AD, so he's pretty close to the time. It's probably an accurate statement. John, would, he had no strength left in him, so he would just always go around and say, little children, love one another. The last moments of his life, he's telling them, love one another, and some of his disciples got frustrated with him, and he says, we're always hearing the same words from you. Please, teacher, why do you always say this? And he replied to them with a line worthy of John. It says this, because... It is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it's sufficient. It takes care of everything. God's love. And ask the worship team to come back. There was a, there's a verse here I want to read for you, 1 John 1, 16 and 17. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? There was an uh, interesting thing happening in the church. There was persecution at that time, and there was, you know, all kinds of things happening where James writes about if you see a wealthy person and you give them the nice seat and you see a poor person and you give them the, the uncomfortable seat, how can you say the love of God is in you if you treat people differently because of their status, because of their wealth? And uh, there was a young boy who was in love with a girl. And the thing about this girl, she was he, the thing about the young man is that he was incredibly handsome. I mean, he was like everything you would look for visually in a person, but also internally. His heart was kind, he was smart, he was successful, and he took to a girl who was very, very pretty from the waist up, but she just had some kind of trouble with weight from the hip down, and she had these very truncated legs. And finally, one day she she just kind of said you know wh why are you like with me you know she just she was thinking it in the back of her mind but she was always like why are you with me i mean you could be with anybody and and she had a low self-esteem and he said you'll understand so finally one weekend he went and brought her home for the first time to meet her mom and out from the back of the room as she came to to meet her for the first time was a little bit nervous a woman came from the back of the house and he said, hey, mom. She said, hey, son. And as she came around the corner, she came out in a wheelchair. Think about that. 
See, this young man loved his mother despite that, but he, was, he also loved this girl, not based off of one, you know, that everything had to be perfect. And I think, to be honest with you, that's the way that sometimes we look at our relationship with God. Why would God love me? Why is God with me? It's because God doesn't look at things the way that you and I look at them. He doesn't love us based off of what he gets from us. He loves us not in pity based off of simply what he can give us. He loves us based off of the value that he sees in them. When this little guy was born, he's not a little guy, and his shirts are really huge, and I'm jealous. He's not wearing my shirts, by the way. Uh, a very dear friend of mine, Uncle Bobby, was talking with me before Ethan, way before you were born, and he said, I miss Uncle Bobby. He said to me, he said, Paul, he said, you're about to experience a relationship that you've never had before. Every single relationship in your life, including your wife, you had to warm up to that relationship. But you're gonna see your, your son born and immediately every ounce of who you are is gonna completely love him. And you, right at that moment, would be willing to die for him. And I just remember, you know, it was, it was just a beautiful moment, both the births of my son. But the truth is, is that that's a relationship that you don't warm up to. And God says, I've revealed myself through creation so that men are without excuse. And if we can sit there and question and say, how could God love me? In a way, my wife and I, we, God created him, but we, we were a part of that. And I'm, I'm looking at my son and I see my wife and I see me and I see a relationship and I understand this is what the love of God is all about. He didn't do anything for me. He wasn't offering me anything. I just completely, absolutely loved my child. And that's how God feels about you. And so what I'd like to do here is just hand the service back to the worship team. And they're going to lead us in a couple of songs. As they do that, we're going to lead ourselves into a moment where we step into God's presence and we say, God, if you're love, I could really use it. There's some of you right here in your life right now. Man, your best effort, your discipline, that gets old very quick. Sometimes we feel value in our life and based on how disciplined we are and how um, you know, we're close to God because we're doing the things that please him, but man, that gets old quick. And maybe you find yourself in a place where you're like, I love God and I just, I just need that confidence that he loves me. I'm here to tell you this morning that he loves you, not for anything you do or don't do, he loves you because he's your father. He is the one who created you. He held you in his arms. He knit you in your mother's womb and he looked at you and he said, I would do anything for this child. I would die for this child. And it says, this is how we know what the love of God is. That while we were, we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like God put it there. And get this, especially because I know in this room right now, there are about 10 of you where mom and dad are a very horrible example, where some of you in this room 
cannot tell me who your mom or dad are. It's not really relevant on what you experienced or didn't experience from your parents, although that makes it easier. But somebody who didn't have the love of a father or a mother can actually become the most loving mother and father the world has ever seen because they value that. You're not at a disadvantage because you have a God in heaven who wants to make his home in your heart. And if you're here today, I'd like to do this first before I hand it to the worship team and we do what we do here, but I'd like to ask if you're here today and you've doubted the love of God, you've wanted it, but you've doubted it. I want to give you a chance to respond to that. If we could bow our heads and close our eyes real quick across this room and just give people the privacy of this moment. But if you're here today and you're saying, man, if, if there's a God who loves me, I, I don't love myself, but my goodness, I could, use, I could use some love in my life. If God really loves me the way that you're saying, Pastor Paul, I want that love. I want to accept God's love. And the way that you accept that love is by accepting what he did and proved by giving his son for you. If you want it, if you, you need that in your life today, I just want you to, with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, just lift up your hand across this room. Say, I need the love of God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, right now I just pray across this room for people that need desperately your love. You didn't change the world with your law. You showed the world its need for you with it. But you changed the world through your love. An unconditional, limitless love. And when you show us love when we don't deserve it, when you show us love when we don't earn it, that can motivate us to be the people you're calling us to be. Listen, church, hear me. I know I'm praying right now, but hear me. If you've grown up in the Pentecostal church or the Catholic church where legalism abounds, that says that God loves you and he died for you, but as far as the rest of your life, you better work it out and not break the Ten Commandments because if you, if you do, you're probably not going to make it. That is not who God is, that is not his love. This is a God who has all of the patience in the world for you, in your failures. There's a difference between being a hypocrite and a weakling. A hypocrite says they're doing one thing and is completely doing another and never intends on doing the right thing. Someone who is weak is somebody who fails God when they want to be strong for him. I feel if you're here today and you are saying, I feel weak, I, I'm not a hypocrite, but I need the love of God in my weak hour right now. Raise your hand and put it down real quick. Thank you. Hands all over the place. I want you to know something. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get out of the way, and the worship team's going to lead us in a couple of songs, and we can lead ourselves out the door, but we're going to open up these altars for you to come and pray, for you to come and pray with other people. You can do it where you're sitting, but I want you to know something. God loves you. And his love is not like the way that you and I love. Because if I speak with human or angelic tongues, but if I have not love, I would have become only a resounding symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can, un I can reach all depths too profound for mere humans to discover and have not all knowledge, and if I possess every kind of faith sufficient to remove mountains, but after all, may lack love, I am nothing. 
Even if I should divide up all my possessions and feed the needy, and if I hand over my body that I may glory but have not love, it counts for nothing. Listen to this, love waits patiently. It shows kindness. It does not burn with envy. It does not brag. It is not inflated with its own importance. It does not believe with ill-mannered impropriety. It's not preoccupied with the interests of self. It does not become exasperated. It does not keep a reckoning of evil. Love does not take pleasure in wrongdoing, but joyfully celebrates in the truth. It never tires to support, never loses faith, never exhausts hope, and never gives up. That's your God. He loves you. He's not quit on you. Don't quit on him. Let's stand across this room. Let's make an altar where we are. Let's make an altar up here. And let's be mindful this week, this month, this year. God is love. He cares about you. He can change your life more through his love than he ever will through his law.
we thank you for your love we thank you that while we might question how could you love us you just give us a thousand reasons why because you value us you see something in me and something in us that we can't seem to see in ourselves but it doesn't matter we are known and loved by God Lord let your love not be a license for us to just recycle our lifestyle but let it be an inspiration to change it. Lord, we just thank you for who you are and your blessing in Jesus' name. Worship team's going to continue to play and create space for you. And I just ask those of you that have to go, and some of you, you do, but some of you might want to stay and just sit in this moment. And so if we do that, 
have a conversation with God. And if you have to go, you're, you're more than welcome to just do so quietly if you would. Let's just enjoy the presence of God. God bless you.
Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to all of our messages, follow us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify, and go to lowellag.org or ne-cc.org to keep up with all of our news, updates, and events. Thank you, and God bless.